Welcome to Sis Internet Radio. Sisters in Spirit, affectionately called Sis, is a nurturing environment for women that inspires harmony in everyday living, shares resources that empower, offers information and support that nourishes the soul, balances our mental and physical well-being, and promotes inner peace and heightened spirituality. Our vision is a world where women live consciously, harmoniously, and spiritually to positively impact our lives and the lives of those with whom we come into contact. Join us as we live life with style, grace, and of course, much joy. Greetings and welcome to Sis Empowerment Radio. Well, tonight we are talking about a topic that is near and dear to everyone's heart, food. Food is so imperative to our survival that it's almost intuitive that we be able to provide our own food source or have it locally available. So we say, be radical and grow your own food. For those of you who have not yet had the experience of having a meal straight out of the garden, you won't be able to appreciate the awesomeness of this experience. But for those of you who have, you appreciate the robust flavor because the food is alive and how energizing true nutrient-packed food is to the body. And our guests tonight, Jamila Norman and Cece Gatunga of Patchwork City Farms, are passionate about growing healthy food and educating others on the process. So, ladies, welcome to the show. Please tell us more about yourself and how you joined together as Patchwork City Farms. Well, I come from farmers. You know, my grandparents are farmers. I'm from Kenya, so, I, you know, I grew up on the land. My, my mom grew everything that we ate and my grandparents. And so, you know, naturally, I, you know, I was connected to the earth and to the process at an early age. And then kind of fast forward, um, it wasn't until most recently, you know, I got really concerned about the current state of our food production system. And so, and just really just getting scared to go shopping. And I'm like, why am I scared to go and buy vegetables? And, you know, I'm not a vegetarian, but also buying meat was a scary process. And I, I felt that I needed to know more and I needed to find out where my food comes from, and actually it was a journey back to the land as an adult and really came from questioning how the food that we get in in the grocery store, how it's produced, how it's shipped to us, and under what condition and who's growing it. Doing all this research, I came to the conclusion that I needed to grow my own food so that I can be in more control of what, you know, ultimately I'm going to eat and what my family is going to eat. And then that's how we I met Jamila, really, and I moved into this, you know, community, West End, and we met through doing community work. Mm-hmm. So how do you translate urban farming from the Shambas of Kenya? What did you take from your heritage and bring into the work that you do now? And Jamila, I have the same question for you. What did I take from that? Mm-hmm. It's a culture, really. I mean, my my people, there's a saying that goes that without land, you are no one. Oh, I'm Kikuyu. I'm a Kikuyu. And the Kikuyu identifies with the land. Um, Jomo Kenyatta was the first president of um, Kenya, and he's from the Kikuyu tribe. And the Kikuyus are, you know, historically agrarians and um, agrarian community. And so land is, 
just critical to survival and to family and to community. And my mom worked the land, and we just, you know, we're people who are con- deeply connected to land. And unfortunately, that hasn't been the case once, you know, we immigrated to the U.S. because, you know, we come to the U.S. to, to be other things. They don't come here to be farmers. <laughs> so right. my journey back to the land is, you know, honestly unique in the sense that it's not the typical sort of avenue that an immigrant child follows, you know. What I took from that, you know, as early as I can remember, milking cows and just playing with dirt, really. It wasn't, you know, kids mimic. They mimic their parents, and we observe, and it's a connection that really it's hard to explain. You know, I think for those people who grew up in rural America or or on farms in America would probably be able to relate to that. You know, it's, I think it's a difficult kind of experience to explain to an urban urbanite, although Jamil and I are certainly providing that sort of environment for people to reconnect with the land. What I've been able to transfer from my child experience, childhood experience is just the ability to rely on instinct, you know, that that to rely on the fact that humans have always and are always connected to land and, and, and to, to food. We just, you know, and I was afraid when I started this process. I had no idea what I was doing. I honestly uh, relearned everything from reading feed catalogs and talking to my mother, my mother would actually come and visit us on the farm, and she would tell us stories about how, you know, she's like, I had my son, and he, you know, the first year that we started the farm, I was pregnant, and she's like, oh, when he's born, all you have to do is dig a hole, put him in there while you work, <laughs> you know. Totally back to nature. Totally back to nature, <laughs> like, you know, little nursery, and um, and just keep on working. I mean, I had my son swinging in a hammock under um, the mulberry tree, the first year of his life. Wow. So he was connected to the sounds of the birds, the wind, the sound of the tools that we were using, the tiller, you know. He loved it out there. So that's what I brought to my childhood experience that I was able to bring forth to to what I'm doing now. It's just a passion for food. So, Jamila, would you tell us about your journey to urban farming as well? I saw on the site that you're an engineer. I am an engineer. So, okay, so my journey, um, I'm a couple of generations removed from the land. My great-grandmother and um, great-grandmother, great-grandfather in Jamaica were farmers, and um, my mother tells stories all the time of, you know, what grandmother did and how she made her own coconut oil and sold it at market and, you know, collected, grandfather leased out his land to sugarcane farmers and people grew sugarcane and, you know, he also kept bulls and, and so, you know, my mom has just such fond memories of, like, growing up in Jamaica, living with her grandmother and her mom went off, as like a lot of Caribbeans did, she went off to England for nursing. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, um, they were offering, you know, schooling to, you know, people from, you know, their former colonies. So grandmother went off to England for nursing, and then my mom joined her in New York. And so I was born in Brooklyn, New York. I, I'm a city girl, but there was just something in me, always had a love for the outdoors, always had a connection with nature. It was just something that was in me just from the day I was born. And, you know, also, you know, I had fortunate experience of being able to, like, grow up really 
health conscious, you know, my background and the way we grew up, you know, we were kind of vegan, vegetarian, not eating meat, things like that. And so that level of, like, health consciousness or whatever was always with me. And so when I moved to the South, it was just the food that I encountered was just so different. I'm used to, like, a vegetable just being like a vegetable, and you enjoy just broccoli or some greens as just they are, but things were cooked in meat, everything was fried. Yeah. It was just, it was a totally different food culture, and, I, you know, I totally understand and get the historical aspect of kind of why it is the way it is, but, you know, that didn't sit right with me. So health, it was something that was very, very important to me. Um, I went to the University of Georgia, and I entered the engineering program. Now, I entered engineering because I saw it as an opportunity to make a difference in the world. And so that's what I naively thought I could do with engineering. (laughs) And I went into engineering and found out that actually engineers were actually part of the problem of, like, what was going on with the the earth and the built environment and damming up rivers. And, you know, I think it's a lot of, you know, you've got genetic engineering with our food. You've got, you know... Um, you know, diverting rivers to go and farm areas that are not farmable out in, you know, the Midwest. And that's, you know, kind of what led to the large agricultural industrial systems that we have out there. It's a lot of engineering that went into that. And so, you know, I realized that, okay, I have to make a shift. Something else needs to happen. And one thing I did learn from engineering is, like, um, you know, how you can look at a situation and look at a problem and really assess. And for me, what it came down to was, like, to address the health aspect, to address the environmental aspect, to just address, you know, just sort of like, you know, the social and, you know, psychological aspect of just, you know, the ills that we have in our communities. Grow your own food. That was the solution. Yes. You know, I mean, it just came back down to just like a very simple, basic, as long as man has been cultivating the land, that aspect, it just came down and it addressed so much. You know, you grow your own food and you provide healthy produce. You grow your own food and you're out there working, so you're working your body. You grow your own food and, you know, you're bringing biodiversity back into the environment. Grow your own food and you're providing, you know, beautiful therapeutic spaces for people to just kind of come and enjoy and relax and just commune in an urban environment. I love cities. You know, I, I grew up in New York, and, there's, you know, it's kind of like a duality that I have to sort of manage within myself because I love, you know, the urban environment. I love cities at night. But then I also, I love nature. And so I said, what better way than to merge the two than to farm within the city? So I met Cecilia. Like she said, we met each other doing community work around um, our local neighborhood park, trying to provide opportunities for children in our community to just have things to do. You know, Historic West End is um, predominantly black and just a lot of a lot of children in the community, and there just wasn't a whole lot happening. So and please, paint a picture for us, Patchwork City Farms in Historic West End. So tell the audience what that looks like to have this oasis. So what it looks like is we are farming actually on an Atlanta public school site. It's Brown Middle School. 
It was a former high school, so it's got a lot of space. You know, they had a space that was a soccer field. You know, they had an area that used to be tennis court, so they had a lot of space. So for middle school, they had relatively a lot of space. And so we entered into contract with Atlanta Public School to farm an acre. So we have an acre of land that is adjacent to the school, and we have farmed that land. And we have a chicken coop and a huge barn, and we have just all kinds of stuff growing. We've got potatoes and greens and baby greens and just fruit trees. We put a fruit orchard out there. Um, and what we also decided to do was that because we were on a public property, we made sure that, you know, we set aside a quarter of the land for a community garden and a student garden space. So we've got raised beds filled with dirt, and, you know, we put plants in there, and we've got some community members that have come out, and they've adopted those beds, and they're working out there. We have some raised beds that we've worked with students in in the past, and so it's really, you know, it's just really been just such a wonderful journey, and it's such therapeutic place. I mean, people come out, and they're just, like, amazed by, like, what we have out there. We've got, like, eight picnic tables. So, it's yeah. you know, we want to encourage people to come out, to relax, come have your lunch, come, you know, do your events, whatever it is that you want to do. You know, we're creating the space to be not just where we farm, but also a community space. And historic West End, I mean, it's a historic district with beautiful houses. Atlanta is fortunate in that because it's a city that is not, it's got a lot of green space within the city. So it, it makes for a really good place to actually have urban farming and to have farming integrated within, you know, communities. I mean, we're five minutes from downtown Atlanta, but we have single-family houses that are all, like, brick and, you know, Victorians, and, you know, they line the street, and you know your neighbors and, you know, you know the people on the street. And it's just, it's a wonderful community. Yeah, that is awesome. Yeah. One of the other things that's really uh, unique about this community is also that there's um, several other gardens, uh, larger gardens, uh, not farm operations, but community gardens, like the Good Shepherd Community Garden that's part of the Good Shepherd Church ministered by Reverend Wright, and it's a three-acre site. You know, you have the Atwood Community Garden run by Dana, and she works with youth and teaching them. Um, STEM education, you know, science, math, math engineering. You know. you know, so and she has a market that runs every Thursday, and we have a market that's going to start soon on every first and third Sunday, Farmer's Market. Okay, that will be at your site. That will be at, at the Rain's Nest. Okay, the rent's nest. Yeah. All right. So there's also pockets like my house. I have a, a 500 square foot garden, and you know you find other uh, community people with uh, front yard you know, gardens or backyard or side gardens. So you know there's a lot of like sort of small, uh, my, you know, food production going on um, in, the in this community. So exciting to drive around and just see that. It is. So it seems to be a trend for people to do, but it's actually a wonderful, healthy, and good trend. How big would you say the urban farming movement is? It's in its infancy, yeah. It's definitely in its infancy. Within the city, Probably five farms. there are five official farms. And that's a lot within a city. Yeah, I think, you know, comparing it to, like, some other bigger metropolitan areas, this is sort of like 
and when we say farms, I mean, we say farms, and of course people think like large, but I think the largest land mass of any of the farms is five acres. Right, the I most. Think that's a truly to live in well. And that's truly to live in well, and they're down there on Wheat Street um, over by the King Center. Um, and not all five acres is under production. Um, mm-hmm. We have a full acre where we are. We have Gaia Gardens, which they're out in Decatur. In Decatur. Yeah. And then there's um, Cracking the Sidewalk. And cracking the Sidewalk. They're kind of over this Ooh. way. And Fresh Roots. And Fresh Roots. But they are about, like, you know, a quarter of an acre. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, we label ourselves as farms, as urban farms, because, you know, this is our, sort of, this is our livelihood. You know, a lot of community gardens, sort of like collective people just coming together, sharing time, space, and then divvying up produce amongst themselves. You know, this is a, you know, it's an enterprise for us. It's a commercial enterprise for us. And, you know, we're not only are we growing food and providing something to our community, you know, we're trying to do it in a way that creates and that we can demonstrate it as a viable income source for someone so that we can reintroduce and reignite people back into farming because that's part of what's happened and what's contributed to the industrialized food system and its ability to grow is because, you know, either taken over farms and bought up, you know, people's farms land or, you know, we have farmers that are retiring and they don't have their sons and daughters or family members taking over the land. People have, you know, the trend was move to the city, get a good job, and leave this hard life alone. Right, take paradise and put up a parking lot. Right, take right. up paradise and put up a parking <laughs> lot. And, you know, and we see the detriment that that has caused. And so you have so many people. I mean, you know, we have the, – the, the group is kind of in terms of, like, who's farming. We've got people who are young, energized, and coming back into it. That's sort of like our demographic. And then we have – people who are older who are kind of like, you know, they've had their career and they're making a career change, and then they're deciding, hey, you know what, this is something new that I want to do. So it's, it's, it's very interesting to see who's kind of in that movement and, and, and sort of reclaim the land and, and, and get back to farming. Yeah, be radical. Absolutely, you know. We had and a young lady come out, for example, we had a lady come out um, to help us last week. She came out to help with harvest and planting. She drove out all the way from Marietta, and she was interested in kind of long-term volunteer um, opportunities with us, and she works for the bank and was really thinking about a career change and was really giving a lot of thought to farming, and she wanted to come out and work with us and kind of see what it's like, the day day life in, of a farmer. <laughs> so, oh, that is cool. So, yeah, so she drove all the way out from that's like a good 35-minute drive to come into the city to see what we're doing, you know? Yes. Well, I live in McDonough. I understand about those 35-minute drives. <laughs> yeah. So, she, you know, she's been in kind of like the corporate scene, and she's done with that and wants to transition into a more... Very good. I understand. So let's get into the educational aspect. Why buy or grow your own naturally grown food? Why why either buy it or grow it yourself? Why is that so important? I mean, it's, it's important because, like I said, you know, the journey that I took into looking into how food is produced, and I think that, you know, with the Internet, everybody has that information accessible. When you look at how 
how our food is produced. You're talking about food being shipped from overseas, grown on foreign land. You don't know what, you know, the communities are, that are being displaced, their soils are being um, poisoned with uh, pesticides. It's being transported miles by waterway. There's huge consumption of petroleum going into that, not only taking it, the distribution system from these countries into the U.S., but also interstate to the different grocery stores. It's a long journey for food to travel. And then you want to say that that food is nutritious and healthy for you when you don't even know where it originated and the journey that it's traveled. And also, you know, there's no transparency. We don't really know what these big producers are doing. Honestly, I would say that producing food overseas sort of kind of opens up this this door for them to kind of, you know, there are the regulations there aren't as strict as the regulations here in the U.S., not to say that we haven't done our own uh, share of producing food that's tainted or oversprayed with horrible and harmful chemicals, and not to say that we're not doing it now. I mean, I just heard a whole report on the production of corn and farmers who are opting to continue spraying horrible chemicals on corn to combat a certain type of um, weevil that would otherwise destroy their crops. And so, you know, given the choice, farmers are like, well, do I do a cover crop, which would sort of control this insect and lose production, or should I just continue growing and just use chemicals because I'm making more money? I'm not, you know, taking the time out. I'm not giving my land rest. Right. Poison people or make money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it becomes like an economic question for a lot of these big farmers. In the end, they're going to choose the, the the toughest weapon, which is chemicals. And that's, I just listening to that whole bit about how the person who was being interviewed was saying that they would spray the cornfields and then they would be sick later. <laughs> I mean, and this is current practice. They're like, well, we just spray and then we're sick and then we get over it, you know? And it's like... So, so, so those farmers themselves are sort of victims of the system too, because you know they're, they're, you know they're stuck in a place where because we're growing what we call monoculture, when you grow only one type of crop on acres and acres and acres of land, you invite pests and they focus in on that one crop. Where we grow, we have a variety of different things growing, so you create a system that's more. Um, representative of what happens in nature where you have all kinds of things growing, you have all kinds of diversity, so you're attracting not just, you know, the bad bugs, but you're attracting good bugs that help too. So, you know, so that's that's how a healthy, organic, all-natural food system functions. And that's the system that used to be there. I mean, we think about it, not even 100 years ago, everything was grown organically. There was no word organic. It was just the way Natural. people did it. Yeah. So, it's, you know, now it's like now we have to rebrand everything. We have to give everything a new name and make it all new and have people buy in. And you realize you're just really going back to the way things were. And that's what we're realizing with many things in our society. It's like there are times, there are simpler times and been explored. I mean, we have thousands and thousands of years of human history and trial and error to get to where we've gotten to, and we've managed to undo all of that, the destruction of our soils, of our rivers, and everything like that, with the last 20, 30, 40 years of industrialized 
food system with the pesticides and the herbicides and all that. So those things are the things that you're ingesting into your bodies and the links to cancer, the links to diet, you know, just all of the health risks that we have, you know, the top killers that we have in our communities, heart disease being number one, diabetes, hypertension, those things are food-related illnesses, high cholesterol. If you change the way you eat and the things you eat, they will be gone. That's right. We're talking about viruses. We're not talking about things that, you know, you can't get rid of. We're talking about things that you can directly affect by the things that you eat. Right. And the other thing that's really important for people to understand about why it's important to support local food, when first of all, when food is being grown thousands of miles away, let's just say even California, for it to be shipped and be in the grocery store and still look good and not be bruised and all of that, we're talking about a good like one to two weeks in transit, it's not picked at its ripest. And the ripest the food is, that's when it has its maximum nutrients. So you're picking food before it's ripe, and then it's being forced into shipment containers or, you know, storage warehouses, and they artificially ripen it. But it's not really a ripening process. It's more like, okay, so now we're going to make it from green to red, but you don't have everything else that happens. Part of ripening, which is, like, induced by the sun, and you're still drawing up nutrients, it's taken off of the plant. It's not drawing up any more nutrients. Right. being converted. That process has been severed. It's been severed. You're getting food that it's been documented that nutritional content of the food 40, 50 years ago is way less than the food that is now. And that's probably why there's a huge increase in vitamins and everything. Yeah. You know, vitamins in your milk, vitamins in cereal, vitamins, vitamins, you know, because it's replacing all the vitamins have lost. Yeah. And, you know, we're overvited, you know. So so that's why it's important to buy local because when we harvest from our farm, we harvest Saturday, we go to market on Sunday. It's peak harvest. So, you know, and that's what you're going to get with most of the farmers. When you go to local markets, when you buy locally, I mean, you know, this big campaign to do, you know, we have Georgia Grown and things like that. Buy local. You're getting the best bang for your buck in terms of, like, health, in terms of, like, nutrients, you know, and you're stimulating your local economy. Communities overseas need to be growing for their people. A lot of the communities overseas, you know, we're talking about Mexico, we're talking about Peru, we're talking about South Africa, we're talking about just, you know, wherever food is coming from. Those communities grow food for us, and they can't afford those foods themselves. Their own people are starving. So it's like growing food is like, I mean, you see how, like, it just, like, touches on so much stuff. We're talking about the conditions of workers. Exploitation of workers. Exploitation of workers. You're supporting that when you're buying, you know, food that has been shipped in from so far. Because to even get it at a Walmart and to have it as cheap as you have it at Walmart, which doesn't really factor in the true cost of that, because you're getting cheap labor, you're spraying it with all kinds of chemicals, and then, you know, you're being subsidized. A lot of those big agricultural farmers, they're subsidized, and so they get to make their food look as if it's cheap, but you're paying for it with your health, you're paying for it with the children's health, you're paying for it with the loss of diversity, you know, Mm -hmm. loss of soil, which ends up being loss of nutrients in your food. Healthy soils contribute to healthy produce. Yes, thank you for that. That was so very well expressed. Thank you. There's so much information out there. And, I mean, like Sissy said, like myself and her, we have poured ourselves over information. And you just constantly have to learn and 
you know, expand yourself and, and just see what's going on. I mean, somebody was doing a, a campaign right now on moveon.org to get I saw that. to sign to to get your senators to at least label what foods are genetically modified, what GMOs, you know, what food have GMOs in them because in Europe they're making that 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 decision, but here in America, you know, yeah. our corporations are fighting so hard not to have that because they don't want you to know, you know. Right. Yeah, they don't want you to know because then that would change consumer spending. And when people become aware, and then they're like, wait a minute, I don't want that. Right. So they decide to send their money somewhere else. So information is power, and um, the consumers, the people, have the power to change the system, and that's really where the power lies. That's right. It is. So uh, what about if I want to just say I want to take back some of my power and grow one or two, maybe three things for myself so that I'm not totally outsourcing everything and my energy is going into my food. I think that's the most powerful thing. Absolutely. Energy is going into your food. So it's July. What would I grow now? And I guess maybe what's the easiest thing to grow? Yeah, I mean, so urban environments, um, one of the easiest things you can do, you know, people do container gardening. So, you know, you get a couple of really big pots, you know, they can be as, as inexpensive or as expensive as you want them to be. It depends on you. It's just personal taste. And, you know, you buy some good potting soil. Now, be careful. miracle Grow. Don't do miracle Grow. Go and find some organic potting soil. miracle Grow is, you know, it's got... Those so chemicals already in them. So you got to be careful of what you buy. Read the ingredients. So just read the ingredients. Make sure all the you know all the ingredients in the um, uh, in, in the, the soil is 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 all natural source stuff. But yeah, you know you buy your pot, you buy your you know your soil, and you know you can get a lot of organic transplants from Whole Foods. They have them at Lowe's. They have them at Home Depot. Just your local garden center. Or you could look for startup from community gardens yes. in your in your neighborhood. Yes, you actually can. And um and you know, just find a nice sunny area. It could be inside your house, it can be out on the porch, it can be on the side, you know, just wherever. Find some sunny area, your pot, and you buy your plants. Right now you can still put tomatoes in the ground. You can still do peppers, you can cucumbers. still do cucumbers. Anything um, green? Any, you know, you can do leafy greens. We're still in the summer. We still yeah, have, still uh, let me summer, see, we're so in July, August. So pretty much if you buy any, what I would suggest is if you buy seed packets, if you're not buying a plant, on the back of the seed packet it provides all the information that you need um, for growing. And you want to look at the date. So anything that's like 120 days probably wouldn't be a good idea, but you want to look at things that are going to be um, from seed to maturity to harvest. 30 to 90 days at the most, at yeah. the most, you know, because you want to be able to harvest before the frost hit it. So, yeah. And then also this is pertaining to summer crops, but, however, there are other crops that you can plant that will go beyond the frost date, you know, like things like kale. Well, actually, will kale go? No. Yeah, yeah some varieties of kale, some, like Toscano yeah. kale. Some, you can plant broccoli, cauliflower, those cabbage. cabbage. They 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 survive through the cold and spinach. Mm-hmm. Spinach actually loves thrives in on uh, very cold um, temperatures. Um, yeah, things like that. So yeah, but for the most part, when you go to your garden centers, they will have what 
you know, the plants that they have available, the food, that's what's in season. And they go according to the season. So when the when the fall time comes, they'll have a new set of plants, and those will be kind of like what you should be planting at that time. So, And there is no limit to what you can grow. You think vertically, think horizontal, think hanging, hmm. oh, think, you know, just... Um, yeah. Don't think about traditional containers. You know, yeah. there are so many different things that even tires you can plant in. You know, mm-hmm. uh, if you if you live in a community where people like to abandon tires, you can get mad and pick them up and plant in them. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we've done. We yeah. got certification, definitely. Oh. So, yeah. You know, so well, there's different things that you can grow your food in. Yeah. Let's take some time to talk more about Patchwork City Farms. The events that you have going on, I believe you have type of a co-op organization, and you have the market. So tell us more about that. Okay, so Patrick City Farms, like we said before, we're um, we're an LLC. We're uh, you know a multifamily farm. Jamila Norman and TC were two families that live in the community, and we came together and we formed Patrick City Farms, and so we grow on an acre of land right now. And the idea behind Patchwork City Farms is that, you know, as we continue farming, we're going to find more green patches within our community, and we're going to farm those. So, you know, the the, the farm is going to expand, but it's not going to be one big, going to be a collection of different patches within the community. Okay. So that's the idea of Patchwork City Farms. We're in our third year of production just been wonderful, and like I said, we have a community garden and a student garden as part of our operation, and um, and that's what we plan to do with, you know, any public spaces that we acquire, or rather we grow on, is just to dedicate a portion of that to the community so that they can farm alongside with us. We are also members of the Southwest Atlanta Growers Cooperative, which we were some of the, you know, we were one of the founding members. And the idea behind, it's also SWAG Co-op for short. So the idea behind SWAG was that we recognized that there were other growers in the community, Good Shepherd Community Garden. We have Haleen Garden Queen. We have Sister Deborah who grows um, on um, Hopkins. She has a small um, redeem project. And we have Dana with Atwood Gardens. And, you know, and then we also have some community gardens, Rose Circle Community Garden, which is in the West End, and we have Westview Community Garden, which is a um, partner within a, a neighborhood right next to us. So you had all these growers, and, you know, we realized we all had a lot of the same challenges. We're looking for outlets for our produce within our community. So we decided to come together and say, okay, well, let's form a cooperative that we can all be members of and we can – get resources that we need collectively that we wouldn't be able to do ourselves. So one of the initiatives that SWAG has um, uh, implemented is the farmer's market in the West End on Sundays, and that is at the Wren's Nest. So we partnered with the Wren's Nest, and, you know, starting this Sunday, July 21st, and continuing on until November 17th, it will be the first and third Sunday of every month, and we offer, it's a farmer's market, and so our members, the members of SWAG, get to, you know, participate in the market at a discounted rate, you know, it's a small vending fee. And also, you know, we have an outlet that we individually didn't have to create ourselves and manage ourselves. And then the other thing that SWAG has been able to do is we formed a partnership with Hands on Atlanta, and Hands on Atlanta is an organization that aggregates volunteers for different organizations. 
And Southwest Atlanta Growers Co-op is a nonprofit cooperative. So we formed a relationship with Hands on Atlanta, and we were able to secure volunteers for our different member farmers. And so that's something that's also benefited our farmers and the members that are um, part of our SWAG cooperative. So I saw you had an initiative in 2012 with Hands on Atlanta. Are you planning something for 2013? Uh, Definitely. So our relationship continues. It's a yearly commitment with Hands on Atlanta, and one of the main things that they have coming up is they have Hands on Atlanta Day in October. We haven't picked a specific day, and during that day they're going to sponsor projects all over the city with all of their different organizations, and that's where we've been able to get, um, you know, materials for the community garden. We've been able to build out the community garden. We've been able to get, you know, um, the picnic table. So we're really trying to build out the community garden space and create an inviting environment for, um, you know, the community members and the students alike. So that, and they've really been enjoying that. We built, that's when we did our tire planters. We took some tires and cut them into, like, sunflower shapes and flower shapes and turned them inside out and painted them. So they just, you know, they're beautiful. And like you said, those were, you know, people dumped tires in our community, and so we just took something, Google, 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 YouTube, and people will tell you how to do anything. That's the truth. Oh, man. And, uh, and, you know, we turned something that was, you know, considered a waste product into, you know, something functional, and, you know, we're going to plant in those. And so, yeah, Hands on Atlanta Day, and then also there's a monthly volunteer group that comes out once a month at the different farms and helps us with whatever projects we need on the farm, in the community garden, and just at the site in general. So so that's our relationship with Hands on Atlanta. And it's been really good, and we're so thankful for it. Okay, and give us your contact information, because after listening to all of this, I know that people definitely want to find out more. Uh, well, you can find us online. Um, our website is patchworkcityfarms.weebly.com, and um, that's still in the works. So if there's any um, web builders out there, <laughs> we need your help. Farmers always need all sorts of help. So help to. Um, but we have um, that's our website, and we have you can reach us on Facebook, Patchwork City Farms on Facebook, and you can email us at patchworkcityfarms@yahoo.com. All right, so let's take some time now to see if there is any of our listeners on the phone or in the chat room if you have a question for Jamila or Cece. And in the meantime, I have one. Okay. So there's no pesticides, chemicals, et cetera. How do you deal with these pests? <laughs> I have to tell you, you know, the one thing that's a big challenge, especially this year with the heavy rains and the constant rain, it has been exactly that, dealing with pesticides and the overgrowth of weeds. Not pesticides. I mean, I'm sorry, pests and um, the overgrowth of weeds. And so we basically just get out there. It's just a fight. Uh, it's mano a mano, <laughs> really. <laughs> We're squashing bugs. You know, sometimes we have, we clear an area. We do use some OMRI certified yeah, mm-hmm. organic, organically certified pest control insecticides that we use that are not harmful to humans or animals. Yes. We'll use those on occasion if we have, like, a huge infestation. We also use things like neem oil, which has been used for, like, thousands of years. Um, insecticide soaps, which are just, so you know, plant-derived. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. And so that's, that's pretty much what we do. 
Okay. For the most part, I mean, a lot of, you know, you, you know, what we do is, in, like, for instance, you know, we just have to pull up all of our kale. And what ended up happening with the kale is because of all this rain, there's a fungus that was is kind of naturally occurring in some of the kale seeds. And in the right conditions, it can get out of control. And the way it spreads is if, you know, you have, like, really wet conditions and it just splashes and just goes from leaf to leaf to leaf. And instead of, you know, maybe in an industrial food system where they would then decide to employ some chemicals to, like, try to kill this thing, you know, we just realized, like, okay, we need to just pull up our kale. So we just pulled it all up. I mean, we had gotten, like, two, three months of harvest out of it anyway. So, you know, it would only be greed to just try to eke out any more out of it. So you just pulled it up, bagged it. That's something that, you know, you have to actually throw away. You can't compost because it will survive the composting process. Mm -hmm. And um, then we just plant something else. But when you're only working with one crop, when you only grow one crop, you know, you see how then a farmer gets in that situation where they're like, this is all I have. So that's why you have to – it's the same thing with investing diversify your portfolio. So you have to diversify the portfolio of foods that you grow so you're not dependent on just one thing. You know, so we've got other things growing in different areas and, you know, we can put in, so we're replacing the kale with arugula. Mm-hmm. That grows in, you know, and it's ready to market in 30 days. And, you know, and so that's so that's what we're doing. So you have to be, you have to be adaptable. You have to be dynamic. We are dealing with climate change and it is real. And a lot of the other farmers that we know are going through the same thing. I mean, this is unprecedented rain right now for Georgia. I mean, and for this time of the year, it's just been so much rain. It's kind of had an unwanted consequence. Uh, we have to adapt. Yeah, right. we have to adapt. Exactly. We have to adapt. Mm-hmm. So we have a question. You have a question. Brennan. Brennan? Brennan Washington? Yes, Brennan. Yep. Brennan. You're on the line. Farmer at Phoenix Garden. Hello. Hey, ladies. Hi, you're tuning in. Hi. Hi, how are you? We're doing great. You're doing good. Good, Keep good, in. good. I saw you posting on Facebook, and I said, well, I had to force myself to stay up to listen to the show. Great show. I'm sorry, what is the host's name? I am Raisa, and Sky is the co-host. Thank you okay. for joining in on the show. you have a question yes, or comment for us? Well, I, I have a comment. Um, I see Sandra Miller being um, very modest. I know. Not like you set up shop and just started farming. They had faced obstacles that a lot of farmers probably couldn't deal with. I mean, their water supplies are not secure, and they just had to undergo a lot of struggle to get that small patchwork city farm up and going. And I just can't tell you how proud I am of them to see the progress they've, they've made in the, uh, two or three years since I've known them. But given the name of the show, I really would like to have them speak about the challenges they face as women farmers in general, but specifically as black women in agriculture. Because I know they uh, specifically face some challenges that were specific to just being African-American women in the the agricultural community. I think they've done a great job in overcoming those challenges. But given the name of your show, you know, I really would like to hear them talk about what their experience has been as African-American farmers, African-American women farmers, black women farmers, and how they've been able to overcome some of the challenges. So, great show. Okay, um, ladies, so tell us how you've been radical in growing your own food and food for others as African-American women. 
in probably a non-diverse atmosphere. Yeah. So part of what we've realized is, you know, we're we're out there, we're growing. And, of course, I mean, just first of all, being a woman, and it's so crazy that men, like historically, and we're talking about, like, you know, culturally, historically, culturally, historically you know, dawn of civilization historically, women did the farming. You know what I mean? Women were the ones who cultivated the land for the most part. So here we are in, you know, 2013, and, you know, men are looking at you like, what are you, what are you doing? doing? <laughs> They're like, they have, well, actually, it, it almost, uh, it is almost like no, you know, not really having respect for our abilities yeah. to do anything, really. Yeah. And from the get-go, really just questioning, like, our ability to uh, to accomplish what we have so far. And, you know, and it's 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 sad, but nonetheless, it's, it's something that we've had to deal with on an individual basis, you know, also just overall in the community, just people saying, wow, you two, like, are, you know, <laughs> y'all some hardworking women. Yes. I'm like, yes. Especially with the piece on the water, you're basically carrying water like a third world country to your crops and watering them. Yeah, we are. And we, you know, when we started this, it was, imagine a football field. <laughs> and there's only grass. <laughs> and then there's Cece and Jamila with their hoes. Uh, <laughs> That's what it was. <laughs> it was that, you know, and so we didn't have the infrastructure in place. You know, I'm grateful that Brendan brought that up because of, a lot of people like to romanticize like what we're doing, but there is just the other end of it, which is hard work and also perseverance in the face of like not having the tools, literally not having the tools that you need to do the job mm-hmm. and having the well, patience. It's also inspiration for others work. that might be in a situation where they want to do it, but they feel like they can't do it because they too don't have the tools. So it's very much um, inspiration to them. So thank you for sharing that. And I thank him as well for bringing it up because, well, you know, you're mentor. telling people that if you have the desire yes. and you persevere, then you can do it. You know, you don't have to have all the things in place, all the latest tools, all the latest supplies to get started. Just have the desire and start small, and then you you too can do it. So I I appreciate him asking you to elaborate on that and you, you know, actually doing so because it's inspirational. Absolutely. Well, I think the other piece of that, being a black female farmer, is being taken. The, the question is the community viewing you. Because the, the, the stereotypical image of the farmer is the white, old, you know, older white male, you know. Mm-hmm. And so here, Jamila and I come out of the woodworks, and we're just like, hi, we're, you know, in our 30s. <laughs> and we're black. And we're black. And we're growing food, and, and now we're mothers, and we're mothers, and, and she was pregnant first year, and she's pregnant this year. year on the farm, and they're just yeah, they can't wrap their heads around it, you know. Yeah. And so and, and we're pretty small, like I'm like a buck oh five, <laughs> you know. So mm-hmm. it's just like everything you could possibly think would not be a farmer, and here we are. And the thing that I will say is that you know, as we have continued doing what we're doing, the people that have doubted us have come out to our farm, and they've had to stand and marvel at, like, wow, you guys are not 
playing. And we're like, no, we're not. No, you see the vision. We're serious. You saw the vision, and it had to come alive because you held it. Yes. So I wanted to start winding down. We have minutes left. And so we usually close out with a quote or a saying that we want to share with people. And I'll share mine, and you can think about what you'd like to share. When gardeners garden, it's not just plants that grow, but the gardeners themselves. And that's from Ken Drews. You know, when I moved into my house, the, my uh, front yard was just grass and uh, some bushes, and I, the first year we planted everything under the sky, in, including fruits and for the kids on the block, uh, all sorts of vegetables and herbs. And so plant a seed. Yes, and that's exactly what you ladies are doing. They're doing in the community. Please provide your email address and uh, the website one more time before we close out. Patchworkcityfarms.weebly.com, and that's W-E-E-B-L-Y, and that's our website, and it's patchworkcityfarms at yahoo.com is our email. And, um, yeah, that quote, in our society, growing food yourself has become the most radical of acts. It is truly the only effective protest, one that can and will overturn the corporate powers that be. By the process of directly working in harmony with nature, we do the one thing most essential to change the world. We change ourselves. Thank you for having us on your show. Thank you very much. Being here, fantastic show. And... Listeners, if you didn't catch the beginning, you can catch it again in the archives. Thank you for listening to CIS Internet Radio. Thank you, Cece and Jamie. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.